Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to this mid-festive episode of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am Craig Fowler and I am joined on this occasion by Tom Watt. Hello, how are you doing? I'm good, Tom. And a man who can't find his microphone is Gary Cocker. I don't even know what day it is. This is, <laughs> this is literally the worst week of the year. It's when you said we'll record this on Tuesday. I thought, I don't know what Tuesday is. I had to look at a calendar. Well, I thought Tuesday would give me enough time to recover from Boxing Day, but... Uh... That wasn't the case, really. <laughs> so, uh, I'll manage to live through. Uh, I've lived through work for the last two days, so I should be able to do this as well. And there's been a lot of teams limping through to the winter break as well, haven't there? Oh, oh. Segue. No, well done. Very nice, very nice. Uh, one of them was your team, Gary. Yes, thanks for that. What's happening yes. with your team? They lost to Aberdeen at the weekend, 2 1. It's because of those terrible people at the SPFL who applied the rule book consistently to this game. It's a disgrace and it's something that they should really go away and think about. No, it really um, is an embarrassment to all Scottish football, isn't it? it oh, yeah, apparently so. Um, I was actually looking at the rules earlier because I wanted to see if we had to... So, for example, if... Well, we lost the game 2-1 to Aberdeen, but no one cares about that. Let's talk about the Furore. Um, I made a note of the rules because I thought maybe we had to register Dave Mackay, uh, who's currently our assistant manager, 40 years old. Do we have to register him in order to meet this requirement from the SPFL? Basically, are they forcing Dundee to do wild things? But they really weren't because you need to have 13 or more players available, which we did, of which at least one must be a goalie and 11 must be outfield players. Three were goalies and 12 no, 11. 11 were outfield, actually. Uh, and at least 10 of the 13 must be 18 or over. And we only had one under 18 in the whole uh, 
in the whole Ken Caburo, uh, which was Callum Lamb, the 17-year-old midfielder. So I think the thing is that what Dundee perhaps haven't done, which I imagine some other clubs may have done recently, is Dundee have not been um, as generous, if that's the right word, with their close contacts. And I think that had um, a little bit more slyness been applied, perhaps, um, more players could have been identified as close contacts, um, which would have allowed Dundee to go out, ah, well, we don't have enough players. Uh, sorry about that, and let it move. But as it was, um, the team that Dundee put out, again, it's similar to a lot of clubs who have sort of limped into uh, games with poor squads. It's not so much that the starting eleven is poor, it's that you're playing a couple of players, maybe out of position, a couple of players who are bench warmers at the best of times, and then you've got nobody that can come on and change the game. Um, and that's when you have the likes of Lee Griffiths um, playing 90 minutes, which he's not able to do. <laughs> Let's be honest here. I think it's a, I think it's right to say as well that Dave Mackay was only... Because I did wonder where you were going there. I wonder whether you were going to say that Dundee were just doing it as a show of kind of posturing. Uh, but no, the, uh, looking at the bench, they did still kind of need Mackay just in case they had three players injured during the game and then you just literally a body to come on. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, the I think the biggest travesty of all was um, getting to see uh, Corey Panter in the flesh, who is on loan at Dundee from Luton. Uh, I think has played about maybe half an hour in the League Cup game and has never come on. So even when we've had, I think, both fullbacks are injured or all three of our fullbacks are injured, he hasn't got a game. We've found another solution which should probably be enough to tell you that if he is getting a start, then, oh boy, we are stretched. Um, I did laugh when Dundee went ahead. Kurt uh, uh, Save Lee Griffiths, uh, who has only scored two goals this season, both of which have come against Aberdeen, um, and both of which have been pretty well-taken goals as well. And it's, it was a pretty good weekend for uh, goals from set pieces as well, or just good goals generally. Um, but it didn't last long. I think Hedges uh, leveled things up, and it was shoddy, shoddy defending from Dundee. And I think the thing that's most frustrating to Dundee fans, other than the very long injury list and then the COVID cases, um, reckon any chance we'd have of, uh, of switching up and changing the game is that we lose so many soft goals at the moment, so many just sort of go through Adam Legsons, who is capable, as he was at Ibrox, of making incredible saves and keeping us in the game. But he's also capable of, as was the case, I think, with Lewis Ferguson's goal, to be honest, not keeping out strikes that you really should be keeping out. Um, I think overall, you know, Tom will have his own Aberdeen perspective, of course, but I think for Dundee fans, the fact that we're now not having to play Livy and then United before the break is a huge relief. And I can see us bringing in probably four or five bodies uh, in the January transfer window. Hopefully we don't do what we usually do and wait until the final couple of days to do it um, because there's kind of a a pressing need to get bodies in in mid-January. Um, but it's. I'm very glad that we've managed to limp our way um, to the end of December and not be bottom somehow. <laughs> okay, let's go for that Aberdeen perspective. Tom, Aberdeen got the three points in this game. Their, their form has uh, improved somewhat uh, as the as the kind of the games have progressed recently. Although there was the defeat to Hibs, but a victory in the end, but not a good performance from what I can tell. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't a good Aberdeen performance by any stretch. Um, I think the the encouraging thing is that although 
the way they've been playing in recent weeks hasn't dramatically improved with you know with a couple of flurries you know five minute flurries here and there and um, the results have and I think that um e- even a couple of months ago even against a depleted team going a goal behind they might not have got a result here and um, and I think the the, the, the biggest concern is that were it not for some very slack Dundee defending and the fact that the Dundee players were just absolutely dying on their arse in the second half, like everybody was 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 looking knackered, there might not have been a breakthrough. There might not have been a, a way to find the winner. There, was a no, there wasn't a huge amount of creativity. Ryan Hedges was cutting inside. Um, they weren't getting an awful lot from the wing-backs. There wasn't an awful lot coming and with the exception of set pieces, there wasn't a huge amount of, of chances created. I mean, the, the kind of the, the story of the game in lots of ways is that it, it, almost every Aberdeen player had more touches of the ball than every Dundee player. I mean, Joe Lewis, who I think Dundee had two shots on target in the entire game. One was the Lee Griffiths goal. There was one other one. But Joe Lewis had 43 touches of the ball, which is more than any player on the Dundee team. They they for obvious reasons, they just were retreating a little bit into the second half. The last 10 minutes, when I think the Stephen Glass at the start of the season would have kind of piled forward and tried to kill the game off, um, didn't quite know what to do with it, a little bit, with, it, with it quite so much and was retreating a little bit. Um, and there was a very good chance for Dundee at the end to, to get a point. And I guess a little bit like Dundee must be feeling, I think, the idea of having... Rangers tomorrow with the squad as it is and with a couple of players that went up and Marley Watkins went off injured um, or a couple of other uh, a couple of other players that we, we could potentially be, be getting back it, it's not a bad time for there to be a break Longstaff's been a disaster he can go back to Newcastle and we can all forget that that ever happened and hopefully there will be a couple of bodies in before everything restarts there's still a desperate need for some creativity. I think the last few weeks, the defence has not quite completely sorted itself out, but but Ross McCrory is looking much more like a centre-back. Um, looking, McCrory and Bates together are looking more like a, a partnership and that they that there's something going on there, but there's still a desperate need for some creativity. The, the, the front four, basically, with Hedges, whether it's Jet or... Or uh, Jenks, um, Hayes, McLennan, Ramirez, whoever who whoever kind of makes up that front four, they are all patchy players. You know, they can all kind of drift in and out of games. They're not going to have a run of like five or six games where they're absolutely at the peak of their powers for 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 a, for a, for a run. And the problem is that if one or more of them is off their game, then it all kind of falls apart in the final third, and that's kind of what's been happening. Even though, even though the run's been decent, um, that that's kind of what's been happening in the last couple of games. So I think there there is a need to have a maybe to look at something, look at getting in a number ten, looking at getting somebody else to help out from midfield. Wait and see what happens with players going out. But you know, I, I think 60, 70 minutes in it didn't look like we were going to get a second goal. I think you, you take the win and the 
the fact that we're in touching distance of the European spots, having been pretty much roundly pish since September, we kind of take it, take the win and move on. Right, I think that'll do us for that game. I didn't really see any of this, so I've got nothing to contribute. So let's move on to Motherwell 2, Livingston 1. This was a game that you saw quite a bit of, Tom, and uh, the rest of us have uh, checked out the highlights and I've also kind of read up and some of what some of the fans were saying as well. But Motherwell getting an R victory. They stay on the heels of Hearts in fourth place. They're only five points behind third. And Gary, Graham Alexander continues to do some very good things with this Motherwell team, despite the fact that Tony Watt was... Uh, Sitting on the bench for this one after it looks like he's away to Dundee United, which we'll maybe get into in a minute because what? <laughs> yeah, it's. I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to dive into it a little bit right now. I think the wisest thing that Motherwell can do is to cash in on them in January. Um, I mean, it's a very different situation, but I remember when uh, Glenn Kamara signed the pre contract agreement with Rangers. And the view of Jim McIntyre at the time was, well, if we can get some money for him, I can use that to you know, replenish other parts of the team, to fix up the team a little bit more. I've got other options in the middle, like Martin Woods, and it'll all go well. Now, that didn't go well, but I think it would go well for Motherwell. <laughs> um, so despite my previous experience, um, because, I mean, if you have a look at you know, the, the other options, you know, Connor Shields has, I think, um, really, you know, after a bit of a, a, a slow start at Motherwell, has clearly got a little bit more used to the step up from Queen in the South. Um, and he's a decent option to have. Kevin Van Veen um, as well, I think, has um, has really hit his stride and he certainly hit a particularly good stride, let's call it that, um, for, for Motherwell's opener as well. So obviously, you know, if, it, it, I would never go as far as to say that Motherwell don't need Tony Watt because a club like Motherwell can always use someone like Tony Watt and he's been absolutely on fire this season. Um, but I think that if they are able to get the six figures that they're looking for, for, for him, then they could easily reinvest that elsewhere uh, in the squad. Um, and they can use that to consolidate their push for the top six as well. Because I, I think after there was a period of time where I think we were looking at it mm-hmm. and thinking maybe Graham Alexander was overachieving with what he's had or the results on paper didn't actually match the sort of experience, if you will, of Motherwell fans, but I think now that the two are moving a little bit closer together now, um, and it's got to be a, a big chance for them to try and consolidate a, a respectable mid-table finish here. Going back to the the Watt transfer, it's probably one of those ones that if he does sign a pre-contract with Dundee United this summer, it probably does have to happen during January window, and that'll make it hard for Motherwell to, to get the, the six figures with this knowledge, because it's just kind of one of those things where it's not... I mean, even if he was signing for Hibs or Aberdeen or Hearts, I think it'd be a bit more understandable to Motherwell fans, be a bit more forgiving, be like, okay, you know, stick around here for the rest of the campaign. You're still going up a level, so to speak. I know it's still, you know, same league and level, but in terms of level of clubs, you're still going up one. You're still going to have to, you know, go in with a bit of momentum. So there's going to be a bit more of a... a need to, to keep up playing well for us to, to keep your confidence going and it'd be the same as well obviously if it was Celtic or Rangers and I don't think there'd be quite as much of a kind of need to get rid of them right away but because it's January and because it's Dundee United and it, like with all due respect to Dundee United it's possible but a lot of Motherwell fans will be looking that going like what? Why? That's like <laughs> and it kind of underlines the fact that one of the main reasons for it I mean I don't want to disparage Tony Watt in any way I mean it's, it's his 
his career, uh, but you have to imagine, and the rumours are, that money has is, is played a big factor in it, and Dundee United have blown Motherwell out the water with their bid. And when it gets to that, and it's it's more about the cash, even though it's completely fair on Tony Watt, you know, he's only, he's 27, 28 now, so he's only really going to have like one or two more contracts left in him, and a decent wage before his playing career comes to an end. If he's getting, you know, for this level, daft money from Dundee United, uh, like like I say, if that is true, then yeah, fair enough. But it's something that's going to stick in the craw, I think, of the fans and maybe even people around Motherwell as well. So uh, I think it is one of the ones that has more of a pressing need to get done and to get him out the door in January, if indeed he does sign this contract with United. That was a lot of ifs, buts, and maybes. Tom, <laughs> looking further, uh, if Tony goes in January, could this be... I mean, this might be jumping to conclusions because it's only one game, um, but he, he has scored, he has played well at points this season and he's shown that he's somebody that can be very effective in the Scottish top flight. But is Kevin Van Veen possibly better without Tony Watt there? Can he, do, can him being basically giving the responsibility of being the main man in attack, will that see more from him? It definitely could be. I mean, uh, he, he's been hugely impressive and I think... Uh, I'm not sure the. I mean, from from Tony Watt's perspective, I can completely understand why, if even a fraction of the what the the, the kind of mooted fee, the the mooted wages that Dundee United are offering, if that's the case, then can, can completely understand why you make that move. It, it it's a very good contract, and it will be multiples of of what what Motherwell have offered. I don't think it makes a huge amount of sense for either Motherwell or or, or Dundee United. I mean, I, I like Tony Watt has been very good for Motherwell this season. He's in the best season of his career. That's with nine goals. Like he's not been prolific throughout his career. He's had, like he, he's a good player. He plays on the shoulder nicely and he's still developing. He's, he's not an old player by any stretch. Like, like say he's only 27, he's still got a lot of football left in him. In him. But I... I don't I think that's quite a puzzling outlay for Dundee United. And I think if if it was a purely football decision, then you know, stick around at Motherwell because there does seem to be something happening there. Vavin seems to it would make an awful lot of sense if he's kind of the beneficiary of that. Um Tony Watt has kind of been the the, the focal point top scorer in the league um this season and has got an awful lot of the plaudits. Van Veen there's a there's a, a um, player in the um, I, I try to remember his name. Good to say. There's a a player in the NHL um, called. Oh, I can't Ty- help you. Out. I can't help Ty- you with that. <laughs> Ty- Tyler Tyler Myers and is nicknamed the Chaos Giraffe because um, he's tall and rangy, but there's also just this element of like. He he knocks people off their balance. He doesn't necessarily look like he's got the touch and the control and the like. You never quite know what's going to happen, and he keeps doing things that you're like, "Oh right, we, th- there's a new thing we found out about him." So Tyler Myers, the Chaos Giraffe, and there's an element of that I think about Kevin Van Veen, where an unbelievably good header of the ball. All right, we didn't realise that he had that in his locker. He's fantastically good at set pieces. He's got this in his locker. Like he, he's actually got. An incredibly good, like he can volley on the turn and has got that in, in his locker as well. I think we're only still learning what he's what he's got got going for them and, and got going for him. And although he's he's kind of thirty years old and hasn't had the most obvious 
career path to being a very, very dangerous Scottish top flight uh, striker. I think there's every sign that he's got, there's more to, there's far more to him than we've seen already, which was maybe kind of a bit of an analogy for Motherwell in general this season, because I, I think every time I've watched them, um, I don't know where goals are going to come from. I'm not sure where the creativity is going to come from. I'm not sure that they've looked solid and stodgy. And even though I've, I've watched them a, a bit more frequently in the last kind of six weeks, there's far more to them. And we've, we've seen far more from players like, you know, like, like, like Sean Goss, uh, that who I just never like McGinley, uh, who I, I never Beavis McGavy as well. Who I, I think we've sort of got a rough idea of what they're like, and we've seen more than enough football from them to kind of have an idea of the sort of players that they are. But in the last ten games or so, there's been it. There's been an evolution, uh, and we've seen a bit more from them. That than you know, and, and these, these are not like young players; they're, they're fairly experienced players who who seem to be finding not I wouldn't say a, a, another level, but but definitely new skill sets that we didn't really had. I think another big thing from Motherwell uh, before we touch on Livy is the return of Liam Donnelly. Uh, yeah, Liam Donnelly as well, because if you have a look at their results before he came back, okay, they were picking up a couple of victories, but. It was the narrow defeat to Celtic and then beating St. Johnston and beating Livy. Uh, and I think that maybe just provides them with that a little bit more ballast in the middle of the pitch. Um, and I think he's been a player that, when he first came in, obviously had much more of a reputation for scoring goals and that was never going to last. But I feel like that's uh, that's a, a huge introduction, the, the sort of much-fabled, you know, like a new signing um, for him to come back after a stretch of being out for a couple of months. So uh, that's just as important uh, as the, the likes of Tony Watt for Motherwell overall. As you said, touching on Olivia before we move to the next game, I think it's all a bit of complaints from, from fans about the... David Martindale in another game where he's used the kind of false nine uh, kind of system with uh, Andrew Shinney as the kind of focal point up front. It's had its moments this campaign. Home to Celtic and home to Hibs probably being the best two examples. Two 1-0 wins for Livy against teams that typically would be expected to beat them. So it, it has had its uses, but I think often in games it leaves them a little bit... I don't know if toothless is quite the word but it's, they can sometimes lack a bit of ruthlessness in terms of what they're kind of wanting to even attempt. So there's often a, you know, a, bit too, a bit too many passes in the final third, trying to play kind of intricate triangles around these players and, and try and set up the best goal scoring chance possible. Or sometimes you need somebody like a Bruce Anderson who's just you know, going to be more ready to just have a you know, pop or, or, or that's the kind of main thing he's interested in is like, let me get a yard and let me get a shot off kind of thing. And I think they're maybe missing some players. Alan Forrest could do that as well, but he didn't really do it much in this game. And I don't know, I think, I was going to say a, a striker addition in January would be good for Livy, but they've got obviously Joel Newbel who will be joining from Arbroath of him being, he doesn't score a lot of goals, but from the way that Arbroath fans have talked about him, Arbroath fans have talked about him as being one of the best players in their entire history. <laughs> and... He's certainly been one of the best players of the second tier this season because our both are top of the table and he's made a huge reason for that. And while it's still a step up and there might still need to be a bit better in time, that should help improve him and also give him another option up front so they can actually you know, play somebody who will maybe do the kind of false nine bits of the game that Martindale wants, but also be a bit more of a, a general threat to opposing defenders. 
Tom, like I saw, you saw the game. Uh, is, was that a kind of problem for Livy in this match? And also as well, what the hell was Sean Kelly doing playing in the middle of the park? <laughs> I mean, there was a bit of the it was a bit of a throwback to the Martin Dale of or it was a bit of a throwback to, 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 to sort of Livy last season before they they finally clicked. Um the 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 team that ended the game looked dangerous and incredibly dynamic and were a little bit not just a little bit more direct were significantly more direct. Um, I mean, Livy outpassed um, outpassed Motherwell in, in in terms of like overall number of passes attempted by by forty percent. They had more touches by thirty percent. They had far more of the ball in. I was going to partly in dangerous areas. I mean, Motherwell, when they were 2 0 up, were kind of in complete control. When Livy scored, Bruce Anderson does offer something. I mean, the the only real poacher, I think, that they've they've got when they scored, they it, it changes the dynamic completely. And I think there just needs to be there either needs to be more trust in him as. Um, he is going to fade in and out of games. He's not going to be an all-rounder. I mean, that that's one of the reasons that he was, you know, he, he didn't get an awful lot of a, a chance at Aberdeen is that he couldn't be trusted to be the sole striker or he couldn't be trusted to even to be like the auxiliary for, for Sam Cosgrove. And um, he's going to fade in and out of games. But if Livingston are going to be on the front foot against teams that they've got a fairly good chance of getting something from, they're going to need a striker on. I mean, the, the false sign formation absolutely makes sense when they're up against, you know, when they've got their backs to the wall and it's been very, very effective, you know, the the win over Celtic this season. And um, it's been very effective when they've had less of the ball. In this game, they had more of the ball. They had more of possession. They had more possession in dangerous areas. They had more passes. They had more touches. They attempted more tackles. Um, they, all the, all the kind of indicators of what you'd want from a team on the front foot were there, but there isn't a, there isn't a focal point. There isn't a focal point without the striker. And so I think, I mean, Livingston look like they're going to be absolutely fine in the season. I don't think they're going to do anything like they have in the last couple of seasons, even if with the business they, they do not necessarily because they're not capable of putting a run together, but because I think there are this season seven or eight teams that are probably better than them that would disrupt the kind of run that they would need to make a a, a fist of a top six run. But they're better already than the three teams that are, you know, three teams that are below them. And, they don't need the major surgery or they don't need the major reinforcements that I think those sides do. Right, let's move on to the next game and that is the early match from Boxing Day. That was St. Johnson 1, Celtic 3. St. Johnson continuing to be absolutely fucking pish. And Celtic winning despite continued... I feel like this has been the story of all season, actually. And I actually think that... I mean, if it comes to the end of the campaign... And you've got Rangers. Say what Rangers won the double, and Celtic finish about Celtic, Celtic finish roughly around where they are now, six to nine points, something like that. I think you'll get. It's just typical, and you know, I was going to say Scottish media, but British media in general, with a lack of kind of nuance, probably football media in general, to be fair, a bit of lack of nuance when it comes to like judging where teams end up and managers end up. 
I mean, Ange Postacoglu has had to put up with a lot of shit in his, his debut season at Celtic when it comes to like picking his strongest teams all the time. And yes, I know, you know, bring out this tiny violin uh, for the team with you know, more money than anybody else that they've got a squad that they could do that. But they did have a lot of ins and outs in the summer. And that was, I mean, if you want to, that's kind of a, the blame of the club uh, rather than the blame of Ange, obviously, because he came over, took over a team that a lot of players going out, a lot of players deemed not good enough, having to bring in his own players, having to bring them in and play them right away because they needed to, because they were that desperate for, for talent to come in. The injury problems have had an attack, uh, the, the point of the season when they missed Callum McGregor, when it was probably the worst possible time for that to happen. Now, the latest problems have suffered as well with more and more injuries. And, like, I mean, I think it was Craig Anderson in the group chat, the midweek game against St Mirren, where he was like, Celtic have put a Diddy team like they've, They've fallen for St Mirren's, oh, we've got no players and they can just put out a weak team and that'll be fine. But, I mean, with, with the exception of one or two changes, there was, wasn't really much Ange could have done. I think you saw it in this game, he had to drop Kyogo for that midweek game because Kyogo's clearly not over this hamstring problem that's been holding them back. Uh, he just, I mean, had he not been fit enough to play that Premier Sports Cup final, I'm not sure they would have won that without his, his score in touch. So they, he has had a lot of problems to deal with and this was another makeshift team. But luckily, they were coming up against a team who... I mean, that's the Johnson team looks pretty makeshift itself, but that's just the rubbish they've signed to, to replace or trying to improve upon the team that was so good last season. I, I think make no, make no make no bones about it though. Like the St. Johnson at the moment, I, and I, I like phrase this at the moment, they they have been better this season. They were obviously magnificent last season, but at the moment, this is one of the worst sides I've seen in the, you know, the, certainly in the Scottish Premiership era the last eight years. Um, St Johnson at the moment do not look like they are capable of keeping clean sheets and they don't look like they're capable of scoring goals. And at Celtic at different points this season, at, at various points this season, Celtic have gone 2-0 up and then the opposition have scored and they've brought it back to 2-1 and you thought, there's another goal in this. I didn't feel like that at all with this game. I, I didn't feel like that at all with St Johnston. Um, even when you thought, in theory, all it's going to take is a chance and it's and like a, a back four of Barker, Scales, Starfelt, Carter, Vickers, Welsh, which I'm, it, I mean, at the very least, is not as good as the St Johnston back three of last season. Um, I just there was no confidence at any point that that, that St Johnston were going to either create anything or, or even if they did, then Celtic would find another gear. Um, I think the point, the, the main point on Celtic is, as you've said, is that the the problem, the position that they're in and the, the kind of grief that they've got at the moment is entirely the club's fault. It's kind of remarkable that Postacoglu is... Um, has kept them within touching distance and within a good January of at least making a fist of a of a of a of a title fight. Um, I think there's problems with his approach. I think the 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 injury list is he has to take some of the blame for that. I think the fact that you know, it's all very well going. You know, he didn't realise that maybe the the the, the fixture list was a, as brutal as it can be. So, you know, rest players for the League Cup, concentrate on the league, do something else somewhere else. But that the the 90% of the blame for the club being in the position that they are in, it, it can't be laid at his door. 
Um, Celtic were fine. They were absolutely fine. They were cohesive enough. Um, they chased down early on. They got a 2-0 lead and never really looked like being in any real trouble other than that. I mean, the first the first Celtic goal, I I mean, I counted from the point that St. Johnson lost, from the point St. Johnson had possession, I counted four fairly obvious mistakes, including nobody following up on Elliot Parrish making a fairly good save. Um, St. Johnson are just absolutely their own worst enemy at the moment. And they need an awful lot of, I mean, they, they need four or five players at the moment. The, the, the players, the, the midfield especially, who I think have served them really well, but are very, very experienced, are looking all of their kind of 34, 35, 36 years old. Um, and teams are just running over the top of them. Something um, we didn't think about, and maybe something St. Johnson themselves didn't think about either, was that all those guys, Murray Davidson, Liam Craig, even Craig Bryson to an extent last season, looking good in games quite possibly because they had Ali McCann beside them to do a lot of the running. And now that they, he's not there to do that running and instead they've got Ali Crawford. Well, <laughs> I mean, in a lot of ways, you've got to credit St. Johnston fans because they did say he was worth more than they sold him for and they've been proved right. Congratulations. <laughs> You've been proved right. He's worth an awful lot more than that and you're really going to the wire to prove your point because at the moment you're going down. Not, not only that, but obviously losing Jason Kerr at the back. Because McCart had an absolutely stinking game, and Dindonker, uh, following a line of players playing in Scottish football who have more famous brothers, and um, didn't cover himself in glory either. Totally for the first goal, where he, as as you've already said, like Parish makes the save, Dindonker can easily steam in and just get it clear or put it back up in the air to give Parish time to get back up. And obviously, you know, Parish is six three, six four. He's you know uh, a big lad. Big range could gather in, but instead he somehow gets out jumped and bullied by Leo Abada, um, which is a bit embarrassing. But it's a huge. I think it's goes without saying it's going to be a huge January for Callum Davidson. But if you think about the the other two managers who are in a similar ish position at the bottom, so we take Dundee County and St Johnson. James McPake has now shat the beds in several summer transfer windows and fixed his mistakes by which I mean the areas that he didn't strengthen in the January transfer window and he's got that experience of having to go in and you know sort of patch things up pretty quickly Malky Mackay as well County maybe don't need as many reinforcements they just need things to continue to click a little bit better as they are but you would imagine that Mackay might be able to pull another couple of irons out of the fire Callum Davidson hasn't been in this position before and it'll be really interesting. And St. Johnson, in fact, haven't been in this position before. They've always been a club that has sort of evolved very gently over time, bringing in a couple of players here and there. So it'll be interesting. Gary, Gary as, we, as we were told, it's not Lomas, it's not McInnes, it's not Wright, it's St. It's Johnson. It's a St. Johnson thing. Top six is where they belong these days. No, it isn't, lads. No, it isn't. Um, so it's, I think at the moment there, there's a real... I think you said that they were stinking up the league earlier, Tom. Maybe you didn't say that. Maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but there is... That's the, fair. No, that's fair. That's fair. There, there's the sort of the stench of relegation about them. And as a Dundee fan, I know well about the stench of relegation, that there's just so many different things not going well. And the fact that, you know, they're still relying on Stevie May, who hasn't been good for six, seven seasons, or, you know, hasn't been a terrific striker for six seasons, maybe. 
uh, and Chris Kane, who has never broken double digits in the Premiership, it's not exactly um, screaming uh, great success. But you never know. Before we move on, there's just a couple of players I want to just briefly touch upon. Tom Rodgick just continues to look ridiculously good. He is a, a player newborn under reborn, should I, should I say, under Postacoglu. I mean, we kind of expect, we maybe kind of half expected that anyway because he was the Australian national team coach who very much kind of, I think, had his teams kind of flowing around Tom Rodgick when he was in charge of the Aussie national team, if my memory serves me correctly. Uh, or maybe that was a bit too early for Rodgick. Anyway, well, we kind of thought he would come in and do well. I don't know if we quite thought it to this extent. In this game, he was just such a incredible, a, a creative force. Two assists, set up another couple of chances. It just seemed like on repeat, just him playing through balls for Leah Labada to run onto and St. Johnson to just be at sixes and sevens. But the other player I should probably touch on is Nier Beaton, who, firstly, I should say I'm amazed he's still at Celtic in 2021 because he's been kind of like deemed, eh, all right, no bad squad player for many, many years now. But he's coming at the team recently, played a defensive midfield role and really looked decent doing it. Looked kind of, looking back to Beaton when he did have that, when he last really kind of nailed down that jersey and he was the proper kind of sitting number six at Celtic, the kind of deep line playmaker almost, considering what his skill sets are. He's back to looking like that type of player and he's not looked like that in about, I mean, Roderick, yeah, he fell off a cliff, but it's only a couple of years back you're looking at Roderick being... As you know, as dangerous as he is at this moment, but with Beaton, aye, it must have been about five years since he's looked this good. So, Postacoglu doesn't have his problems to seek, but I, th- I think certainly when you look at some of the individual players at Celtic, he's, he's doing a, a decent enough job uh, to be six points off of Rangers at this point in the campaign. Now, a team that's doing a decent job at this point in the campaign, the team that were newly promoted, who I think a lot of guys in the, the chat uh, scoffed at as a potential top six team, but the third, Gary, the third. The magnificent Gorgi boys. At least it's not bothered you, though. That's the main <laughs> thing. <laughs> and it was a big help to um, to Harris Best Friends Sunday that you did manage to beat County. So thank you. Oh, yeah, well, it's fine. Well, I was going to say, Harts said uh, very much, uh, let's say, uh, let's stick on, let's pile on a cliche here. Very much a game of two halves, this one. Uh, the first, first 45, I thought Hearts were excellent, despite the fact that there was a couple of COVID call offs themselves, uh, a few players out through injury. No, you know, starting striker really again because Liam Boyce wasn't fit enough to play. Our man Nangeli is just no longer trusted, and I think he's played for his last game for the club. So it was Ben Woodburn starting an attack, considering how poorly he was against Dundee last week. That didn't look like it was going to go too well. Adam McInef came back in to play in the front three because of, I think that was because of Ginelli missing out after he returned for suspension but got um, illness, which. Uh, Hearts, I don't know whether he did have COVID, but Hearts alluded to a couple of players having COVID, so I would reckon he was one of the two. And so there was that as well. There was also the fact that, you know, no Cammy Devlin because he was suspended. Benny Nigami is still injured. So it was Michael Smith joining Peter Harron in the centre of the park. And you're starting to look at the team going, OK, right, this isn't, isn't looking too clever. Uh, Andy Halliday on the left of the midfield three as well. Not, not always a popular decision with Hearts fans. And yet Hearts were excellent in the first half. Terrific movement from the front three. Ben Woodward was excellent. Mac and F had a really strong game as well. Mackay was doing kind of his usual stuff, and I think it shows that Mackay, I thought Mackay played fairly well, kind of on a par with a lot of his form recently, and yet he was probably the, the least, you know, least strong of the front three. I thought Mac and F was a little bit unlucky to get taken off 10 minutes of the second half because he was he was really having a good game to that point. And it kind of hearts were 2 0 up, could have been three or four. Suter hit the post and the bar in the first half. 
There was also, you know, a couple of other chances. McInef had a couple of decent ones. Michael Smith had a decent chance in, in addition to the goal he scored. Second half starts and right away, it just looked more flat. And County, who, it has to be said, Castle County were really poor in the opening period and very much unlike themselves as they've been playing recently. And even then, start of the second half, I didn't think they were that great. They were, they were better, but I thought Hearts had kind of really taken their foot off the gas. And then just as the half continued to wear on, County got stronger and stronger, culminated in the goal. And then from that point forward, it was really heart and mouth stuff for every Hearts supporter from that point forward. And it was like the final 18 minutes plus six minutes of injury time, during which County, well... The first great chance came in the 89th minute for Harry Clark. Well, a good chance. It was, Craig Gordon was unsighted, made a very unconvincing save. And then there was a moment where Conor Randall's tap-in was blocked by his own player. And then Taylor Moore nearly scored a spectacular own glancing own goal header. That was all after 89 minutes. So Hearts, in the end, despite being so comfortable for a lot of the game and looking so on top, were quite fortunate to escape with the three points. But... Over the balance of the full game, I would say the three points were deserved. So, I mean, I guess one of the one of the questions is what what Hearts do in January to you know that I, I think probably safe to say above expectations over the course of the season so far, and there, but there's still a kind of tinkering with not not necessarily the starting eleven, but like tinkering with with the squad and uh, and re- reassessed. Sort of targets for the season. What's what's the plan in January then? I think the plan's <clears throat> quite straightforward. Robey has said himself it doesn't really see Hearts doing much more other than getting in a right wing back, which they're already done. Uh, pretty much, Nathaniel Atkinson has signed the three and a half year deal. He will join once a work permit is approved, which will look like it's it's going to be him coming in, Nangeli leaving, and our striker coming in his place. Wouldn't be too surprised to see a wee bit more movement, but I think they're generally just kind of happy to concentrate on keeping a number of the players at the club till the end of the season because obviously there's a lot of guys on expiring deals. Suter being, you know, the most kind of famous one, but there's also Craig Halkett, Stephen Kingsley, Peter Harren, Craig Gordon. I think with Gordon, it's more or less assumed that he will sign a new deal. Halkett's a bit... But up in the air. Kingsley's a wee bit up in the air. Suter looks doubtful. Harren, you would like to think, but then again, you don't know. He's played He's played very well recently. And I thought he was one of Hearts' better players again against County, but still don't know how much Nielsen views him as a kind of long-term player. I think he's perfect in terms of somebody coming in for Benny and, and, and Devlin when they're, when they're not fit, but Nielsen might have other ideas. And so I think a lot of it will just be kind of tidying up that, getting there's 17 first-team players I mean, there's a couple of young guys thrown in there, but 17 first-team Hearts players who are out of contract, and that doesn't include Alex Cochran and Ben Woodburn, who are out of contract to their club. So do Hearts want to make a move to try to sign them long-term? Are they going to have more discussions with Bristol City about trying to get a permanent deal for Taylor Moore? Do they want to keep Taylor Moore on a permanent deal? Do they see him as an ideal suitor replacement, somebody to, to kind of you know help improve so he can maybe get to a similar sort of level? Don't know. I, I would have my doubts uh, about that, but you know, Hearts might think that with a bit of consistency, he'll be the, the right-sided centre-back for the future in this formation going forward. So I think a lot of their January work will be about that. And just making small... They'll probably they're bringing a striker. I would think one more player as well. Um, probably another attacking player. Either an attacking player or somebody of kind of Atkinson's ilk on the left-hand side 
of of the three four three. But other than that, I don't think they'll be too busy in January, and just hope that in the second half of the campaign, boys can boys either boys can stay fit or you know the other forward can come in and hit the ground running, not let anybody go, and just hope that everybody kind of maintains their form because if they do, then Hearts should finish third. Here's something where I'm definitely trying to tempt you to say something you regret. Do you think <laughs> that Hearts could reel in Celtic? No. Still got to play. Ah, damn it, it was worth it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Definitely not. Never mind. Never mind. But I mean, you know, they're only nine points ahead. Still got to play them twice. Yeah, you know. Two defeats, yeah. So yeah. okay. Uh, I should probably just mention a wee bit more about County. They, they were they were excellent in the last you know twenty minutes or so. They're really like I've, I've barely seen. I mean, Hearts were bigging up the fact there was no fans there. And I suppose that does play a part at Tincastle, where you know you, the team's lacking a bit of energy. And even and even said as well, like you lose a bit of that concentration when if you make a bad pass in the final third, when there's no fans there, it's like oh oh well, let's go again. Whereas the Tincastle crowd will make sure you know that was a shit pass and you have to do better next time. So I think there is something in that. But at the same time, I've really seen a team really batter hearts like County did in those last 20 minutes. It was it was quite impressive. Um, and yeah, they just, they just seem to be rounding into a team that if they continue like this, and January is going to be key like for us, for a lot of teams, but they don't necessarily have to do a whole lot the way that they're going now. They just have to hope that the teams around them don't get that much better. I think the, the big positive for Ross County is they are playing at a level above the squad they've got like that, that that they don't have a good squad i think they have the arguably the worst squad in the league they've certainly got the worst 11 in the league in my opinion but i mean with with a couple of exceptions there are a couple of players who will stay in the top flight if they don't but they're the football they're playing the way that they're approaching games the fact they're not getting totally battered off anyone um, they found a bit of cohesion they're they're playing a couple of levels as a team above the the collective talent I think they've got um, which you know ask Hamilton that's not a bad thing to have uh, uh, in any given season and I think that that might well do them do them up they, they don't need if they had if they sign a, if they get a couple of players in in January who are you know even like seven eight out of ten signings they'll be fine they'll they'll probably finish ninth um the uh, and it's weird to kind of fra- frame it as you know they're they're but they're they're probably punching above the weight their weight the way that they're playing and they they are they always let teams know that they're in a game whereas I think. Certainly, St Johnston. I mean, did, Gary, you'll have your own opinion on this, but Dundee, when they're not on their game, you know, one in one, maybe two out of three games at the moment, they're getting kind of steamrollered, and I think that's the the the, the worry for those sides. Whereas I think Ross County don't have as good a, a squad necessarily as either of them, but they are hanging in there on every, anyone, and they're so. In a in a season where you just kind of need to put points on the board in any given game, they've got a fairly good chance of getting some points. I mean, Dundee relies so much on Charlie Adam. If there was a league table of the games when Charlie Adam has played and has not played, I think we've only got one point out of the, I think, nine league games he's not played in. Um, so, so much 
of what we have relies on that. There is another team that we've not yet discussed who I view as more likely than County to be sort of duking it out with us at the bottom um, as we go. Ooh. And it is, of course, well, on the United. Well, no. well, I was going to say, we've only got, we've only got four, four, game, four teams left Sorry to discuss, and let's go to two of them right now. That is Dundee Raid, who were beaten 3-1 by Hibs at the weekend. Dundee United a bit... A bit... A very poor form. They're now in at the bottom six. There are reasons for that. They have had... They had some injury problems, which kind of derailed their very good start to the season. As results slipped back a little. They've kind of lost confidence due to that. Guys like Ian Hart, who was playing very well in the, early in the campaign. Jandal Fuchs... Uh, other guys like Nicky Clark, for instance, as well. Uh, a lot of these guys kind of falling back down to earth and, and not really playing well uh, when they have been seen recently. Dylan Levitt, I think, hasn't even played in a couple of months. He was close to coming back and then broke down in a warm-up. So he's been out. He's been a big miss as well. You saw their team at the end. They had the COVID problems, uh, which certainly didn't help against Hibs. You looked at their team. They had a very kind of, a bit of a youthful look and quite a, a lack of experience and a bit of solidity in the centre of the park. And considering the way that Sean Maloney is now getting the Hibs team to play with the expansive passing style of football, you really wanted, I mean, had they had, you know, Levitt, Fuchs and, and Butcher in there, or at least two of the three, you would have thinking this would be a very different game. But Hibs were just able to kind of impose on Dundee United their new style of play, despite the fact that Maloney's only been in the job, what, at this point? So I leading into the game six days, <laughs> like uh, only a couple of training sessions with him. But you can see against Aberdeen, even though it wasn't a terrific performance overall, that he'd already managed to imprint some of his ideas. And there was more of this in this game. But Dundee United, they've had their issues in terms of squad availability. And once everybody's back after the, so the breaks come a great time for them. And once everybody's back, and they're maybe bringing a couple of players, including as mentioned before, Tony Watt, things should be better. But it's still a little bit worrying for United fans when your team is on such a bad run, isn't it, Gary? Now Basque. Ah, basking, basking. Um, I, I think United are maybe, it, it's maybe too much to say regressing to the mean, but I think where they are in the table now is probably where in the final analysis they belong, if you will. I think that uh, the fans who were digging out their passports at the start of the season were doing so on the basis of a team that was incredibly, incredibly tight at the back and was able to nick games by literally a goal Um every time. Now, obviously, they're adding Tony Watt, so they'll be hoping that they can do a little bit better at that end of the pitch going forward. But, you know, Segrist has been in and out of the team, not for form reasons, but just, you know, with uh, injuries and whatnot. Uh, and obviously, he made his return uh, in the game this week. Whether or not he stays in January, I think is still a little bit of a question mark. You mentioned Jando Fuchs as well. He obviously had a terrific start to the season. Then his agent seems to tell literally listing clubs that have been in contact about signing them, which I'm pretty sure, you know, to, to quote, I think you should leave. I, I don't think you're allowed to do that. Um, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that you're not supposed to be saying that Millwall have been in touch um, to offer your client uh, a two-year deal, but that's what he did. Um, so there's, I think United are definitely suffering a lot from COVID and injuries, as you've said. Um, the one thing that I think they can rely on is to be realistic. There are no danger whatsoever of getting sucked into what's happening at the bottom and I suppose if the club has this view that they've appointed TAM courts for the long term and it's about bringing people through and whether that's to then sell them on or whether that's to you know sort of develop this homegrown team that can really push into the top six and into Europe in the years to come then this seems to me to be a golden opportunity to do that and it wouldn't make sense to me for United to go into the transfer market to bring in 
obviously they're bringing in Tony Watt, which is great, but unless it's a player of real quality and experience, uh, if I was under United manager, uh, other than just trying to sell F1 for £1, what I would do <laughs> is probably not actually do that much in January, and I would actually just trust in the players that they have, give them that experience, give them that chance to to bed in, and that will stand them in good stead for the future. That's what they've said that they're going to do. They know that you know, unless there is an apocalyptic set of results for them, they're not going to get dragged into any trouble at the bottom. So why not why not take the the free pass that they've got for the next couple of months to do that? I just want to briefly mention Declan Glass's goal because it was outstanding. Oh. Runs past or away from four different Hibs players before smashing it into the top corner. It's got to be amongst a goal of the season contender. Just outrageously good. But Tom Hibbs now with two, sorry, three successive victories in the league. Uh, two under Sean Maloney. You obviously would have saw them against Aberdeen. And for the highlights of this one, what, what do you make of the change in Hibbs so far? Um, I, I think at the moment, I'd still file it under kind of new manager bounce. I think there's there's not, there, there's the signs, you're already seeing the signs of what Maloney's trying to do. Uh, certainly when they, they played against Aberdeen, there was... They were they were trying to play more expansive football. They were trying to use the whole of the pitch. They were trying to, you know, cover an awful lot more ground than they were before. And it, it there were there were both sides of that, and that it it caused caused them problems, but also created the opportunities for them. Um, I think at the moment there is a little bit of would I, I'm not convinced Jack Ross would have got. You know, three victories in a row. I'm not sure he would have got the, the the wins that they they've had at the moment. It's whether they can do this in the long term. I think at the moment he's still trying to suss out his squad. You know, putting Dre right back into the starting eleven. No one saw that coming. Um, tinkering with the formation yeah, and, and, and I'm playing well. Certainly, nobody saw and, that and, coming. Yeah, well, no, nobody saw that coming. Um, so I think there will be a bit of. I mean, I think who knows what's going to happen with him, them in January with the incomings and outgoings and, and you know, whether they're, what, what impact that's going to have on how Maloney wants to, wants to kind of build, build his squad. But I think he started well and I think you can already start to see the, the, the beginnings of what he's wanting to do. Um, at the moment, I think it's still a little bit early days to sort of, Say right, he's you know he's really come in there, and uh, I think if everyone was firing firing on all cylinders, it wouldn't be a huge surprise if any Hibs manager had come in and got the results that he he'd got. But he is starting to put things in place, and he's obviously just having a look at what he's got. Um, stop the rot, which you know was fairly rotten. So uh, you know, stage stage one, big tick for him. But I, I think January will be interesting, not just for what he wants to do um, with incomings, but, you know, do they keep hold of Martin Boyle, who has been such a key part of everything that they've, not just in terms of goals and, and assists, but, you know, everything that that, that that team's done this season in terms of stretching the game. Um, do they keep hold of him? If Dre Wright is now back in contention, it, it, where is he playing? Is he playing behind strike behind the strikers? You know, has Josh Campbell sort solved the problem for them? I think of all the clubs, Hibs January window was probably other maybe other than Celtic the most interesting. 
Let's get to our final game, which is Rangers 2, St Mirren 0. St Mirren were getting over their COVID problems to an extent. Anik, Flynn, Erehon, Power and McGrath came back at the team after missing the Celtic match. They weren't quite as down to the bare bones as they were in that game. But still some players missing for them. They go to Rangers, really, St Mirren were in poor form anyway. There was not really much to be expected from this. Rangers go 2-0 up inside, I think it was 27 minutes. With Scott Wright scoring and Alfredo Morelos. Morelos could have had at least a hat-trick in this game. He had a, a very a very good game in terms of his movement in the final third and how much trouble he was giving some Mirren defenders. And he really has, looks like he's got... I mean, I don't want to say quite like a new lease on life underneath Van Bronckhurst because he was still you know, good under Gerrard. But six goals in, in these last eight games, that's his best sequence of the season. I think only... Uh, the, he had one sequence of, of a similar last season, uh, but otherwise um, that kind of more kind of facilitated a role under Gerard that he kind of, you know, was placed into, which did help Rangers win a title. So, you know, no, and they were always very good in Europe. So fair enough for, for Gerard's tactics, but he certainly seems to be enjoying playing as more of a ruthless kind of number nine now under, under GVB. And Scott Wright, another one who in recent weeks, he looked very good when he came in the Rangers team last season after joining from Aberdeen in January. But so far this campaign hadn't really shown it. And But it's, it's been given a chance of late to come in. Looked like he, back to his, his best of earlier in, in 2021. And this was just a, a routine victory. So Mirren, in the end, happy enough, I'd say, with a 2-0, 2-0 defeat because they really didn't do much in this game at all, did they, Gary? They really did not. And I think... This no spoilers at all for me to say that this is the team that I think uh, should really be quite concerned. I know that they've not their trouble seat. You could say that about a lot of teams and St Mirren's run. If you look over the the longer piece since I think it's October the sixteenth, they've played eleven games. They've played Rangers twice. United is the only team in the league that they've not played in that run, and they haven't won any of them. And they've scored six goals in the space of those eleven games. They're okay. They've played Rangers twice. They've played to play Celtic as well, but. Against Dundee at home, they lost 1-0. Against St. Johnson away, they drew 0-0 to, you could argue, 10 men St. Johnson, but it was a late red card, so that's maybe unfair. They drew 0-0 at home to Ross County as well. So it's it's been an absolutely diabolical run that's really dragged them into contention, if that's the right word, at the bottom. And, you know, with I think they're the team that a lot of people are not Looking at St. Johnson, obviously deserve a lot of stick for how they're doing. Dundee at the moment are an absolute bin fire in so many different ways. Um, Ross County obviously started the season really badly. There's the Malky Mackay factor, but they're beginning to engine along a little bit as well. And as we've discussed, Livy will be fine. You know, they'll they'll finish ninth probably. Um, but for me, St. Mirren are a team that really need to. Take a long, hard look at themselves in January and work out where exactly it's been going wrong. Obviously, we've already discussed they've, they've had a lot of COVID issues, a lot of injury issues, but there's only so far that those excuses or those reasons can stretch. And I think that if you're playing everybody in the league once and not managing to win a single game, including games against teams struggling at the bottom at home, then you really need to begin to worry just a little. Tom, literally anything to add on this game? Um, I think from a Rangers perspective, Van, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst has had the luxury of being able to look at his squad and see what he's got 
um, familiarise himself with, with the squad that he's got. Um, the players who've come in have been every bit as good as those that, that he's got in the bench or those that he's been, been missing. Um, familiarise himself with what with what he's got without having to make kind of wholesale changes or or rock the boat too much from from um, those that he's inherited. Barring a whole bunch of players going out, I wouldn't imagine he's going to need a huge amount in January. I know they've linked with it, obviously linked with a, with a couple of players, but I don't think there's a, a need for them to do any kind of dramatic business in January. Um, it's kind of hard to say. And it was the most routine of routine Rangers victories. They they did what Celtic could do a couple of weeks ago, uh, sorry, during the week, in that it was a de- depleted Supermarine squad. They scored early on. And that was it, you know, put the out of office on. That was them done. And that'll do us. Kind of dissipated there at the end. But, <laughs> but it was a game that, I get, like you're right to say, it was a game that was like, as soon as Rangers went 1 0 up, it didn't even have to go 2 0 up. As soon as it went 1 0 up, we kind of thought, oh, this will be that. And uh, Supermarine, yeah, the. Really kind of at the moment, but that'll do us. Uh, we will... Are we back again? I can't remember what the, the, I laid out. No, I think we're taking a break. We're not back again next week. This is the last show. This is the last show of 2021. Uh, we won't have a show the first week in January, but we will after that. We'll have a lower league one, and then we'll gear back up again for the Premiership season coming back in the midweek, I think. I think our first Premierships one back will be after those midweek games, but we'll still have stuff going up on the Patreon, including what we're about to do now, which is taking the chance at the winter break point to pick our Premierships team of the season so far, but in terrace style, which is where we have to we limit it to one player per team. So one team's going to miss out, and that team may rhyme with Haint Fonston. <laughs> Just a, yes. a, wee, a wee spoiler for everybody there. So if you'd like to listen to that, it says over on patreon.com forward slash terrace podcast, whereas for as little as £2 a month, you can unlock hours, days, weeks, probably by this point, of exclusive content. So make sure you check that out. And if you want to get in touch with us, the best way to do so is at Terrace Podcast on Twitter. Gary, say goodbye. Goodbye. Tom, say goodbye. Goodbye. And I'm Craig Fowler, and I hope you enjoy... 2022. <laughs> <laughs> Can it get any worse? <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network.